0: I think sometimes we never know when we will make an impact and a difference in people's lives. It's just a constant reminder of of the things that we do can set the example for others.
1: Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Hey, welcome to the show today in the middle of season 13 here and really excited to introduce uh, our guest to you today. I'm excited to talk with her because she, well, you'll find out in a minute why I'm excited, but her name is Kim Campbell, goes by KC. And yes, that's a call sign because Kim, KC Campbell's a retired Air Force colonel who served in the Air Force for over 24 years as a fighter pilot and senior military leader. Her final assignment was as the director of the Center for Character and Leadership Development at the United States Air Force Academy. And as a senior military leader, Kim led thousands of airmen both at home and abroad in deployed locations and enabled them to succeed in their missions. Uh, She has experience leading complex organizations and driving cultural change. And Kim's flown 1,800 hours in the A-10 Warthog. So if you know anything about planes, that is a crazy plane. We're going to talk about that aircraft here in a little bit, but the A-10 Warthog is fascinating, including more than 100 combat missions protecting troops on the ground in both Iraq and Afghanistan. In 2003, Kim was awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross for heroism after successfully recovering her battle-damaged airplane after an intense close-air support mission in Baghdad. And that is the story I read from her new book, Just Out, Flying in the Face of Fear, a Fighter Pilot's Lessons on Leading with Courage. Kim Campbell, welcome to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Oh, it's our pleasure. Excited, Like I said, excited to talk with you. So, uh, Kim, just to get to know you a little bit more, uh, and you've got some stories, I want to draw one of them out in a moment, but I ask every guest to share with us. And I'd like to ask you, uh, if you could take us back in your life to whatever point you want to, to your earliest memory of yourself as a leader.
0: You know, that's, I love that question. I think um, if I were to go back earliest, um, I think my leadership journey really started in fifth grade, um, which I know is early um, and because I now have a son who is um, 10 years old and going into the fifth grade. Um, but I realized for me that was such a turning point in my life of um, really making a commitment and a decision to serve. Um, and that happened after watching the launch of the Space Shuttle Challenger. And for me in that moment of watching this, like being so excited, this exhilaration of flight and watching the astronauts doing something that they were so proud of that they believed in that was so important and bigger than themselves, but then watching the devastation play out. And I mean, as a as a 10 year old, I was crushed. I mean, I I didn't know any of the astronauts, but I really felt like I connected with them personally. And thankfully I had parents um, around at the time who kind of talked me through that. And I realized that, you know, they died doing something that they believed in that was big and important. And that was something that I wanted to commit my life to. So I I look at that as the beginning of my leadership journey, because that was my commitment to serve, to do something bigger than myself, to give back in a way and just do something that was big and important for the rest of the world. That was my goal. That was my dream. That's really where it all started.
1: Wow. Wow. Taking that, that moment of definite sadness and, and how, it, it, transforming it into a moment of inspiration for you.
0: Yeah. And, and I don't think I'm the only one. In fact, I know I'm not the only one because I've talked to so many other people who recognized in that moment, this commitment to do something big and important, something that's more important yourself. I've talked to engineers that got their start because they looked at that and realized that was something that they wanted to do. Other pilots that are friends of mine have said that is actually where I decided to become a pilot as well. So it's, it's been really fascinating and interesting I think sometimes we never know when we will make an impact and a difference in people's lives. It's just a constant reminder of, of the things that we do can set the example for others.
1: Mm, yes, it is. It's uh it's fascinating. And I think younger listeners, uh, might not remember that event and, but every generation, right. We've got those moments that are defining. I was in sixth grade when that happened. So very close in age and yes, just the, the impact of that. And, uh, what it meant at the time, it was uh, very impactful.
0: right. Well,
1: and that's that's very cool that you're able to turn that and that 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 moment of that what's the spark of service kind of ignited at that point. I, I want to take you a little bit farther in your life. Let's go to high school and you tell a story in the the book about running cross country. and it's you know, it's just a small vignette, but I just thought it was awesome. So I wondered if you would share that with us. It's I think it gives a little bit more insight into who you are.
0: Yeah. I uh I loved cross country. I love running um and this was uh the event that you're referring to happened. I think it, I guess it was my senior year um my final cross country race um where it was our uh, league championships. And for cross country, I know not everybody runs cross cross country, but it actually starts in a very tight pack uh, where we uh, are, we're at a park at our local park and we're all crammed in kind of waiting for the the gun to start, to uh, start the race and we're all crammed in. And and the key is if you want to get out front, you got to do it quickly. You kind of got to make your way through this crowd and maze of runners and the gun sounds and I'm, you know, I'm off, I'm trying to get out in front, get out of the pack so I can kind of be on my way. And in the middle of the pack, someone steps on the back of my shoe and it comes off. And I have this half second of like, do I stop and put on the shoe recognizing there's an entire pack of runners around me or do I just keep going? And for whatever reason, I was just like, I need to keep going if I'm going to, if I'm going to have any chance of uh, doing well in this race, uh, so I ran the entire race, which I think was about two miles, maybe a mile and a half.
1: Oh, if it's um, cross country, that's 3.1 miles. That's a 5k.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, you're probably right. I don't know. At some point, I, I lose track of these. It seemed, it, you know, it, I don't know. Maybe I was so focused on running at the time, but it's through the hills. It's not just on pavement. It's through the hills. So there there are rocks. There is <laughs> dirt. And, you know, as I'm going, you know, there's a little bit of wavering of like, was this really the best decision? Because my, my foot is sore. I mean, it's getting sore the more I go. Um, at some point I can see blood on the ground because now I've, I've, you know, it's going, I'm wearing a sock, but I'm still, it's, it's a lot of pressure. It's going over, um, you know, terrain, rough terrain. And I finally, I come in through the finish and at this point I'm, I'm pretty well in pain, but I'm determined that I am going to finish. And I, I am not, uh, racing at my best because I don't have a shoe on, but I finished the race and, uh, pretty, uh, pleased to have uh, to be done. Um, and my mom and my brother were actually there to watch. My mom happened to be an oncology nurse. So she came over to like, congratulate me. And then I, many people didn't even know I was running without a shoe. Although several of the runners were like, what are you doing? Uh, I was like, well, it came off. Uh, (laughs) The best part of this story is that, um, my coach, uh, Tracy Franson, my coach in high school, she actually, after the runners cleared at the start, you know, there's this shoe sitting in the middle of the parking lot and everybody is like, who's running without a shoe? And she is like, that has to be Kim. I know it's Kim. <laughs> and sure enough, you know, here I come at the end and she's like, I knew it was you. I knew it was you. Your so. your
1: character shined through and, and was known at that point that yeah, you, you know, I, I
0: really don't know if it was the best decision. I probably could have stopped, put on the shoe. I, I, who knows? I, it's, you know, you do what you do in the moment. You make the best decision you can, and and then you go for it. And uh, well, and was, that is that's so a much a part
1: of your message in this book, right? <laughs> is about leadership and and what we're doing there. And it is a fascinating. So I, my, uh, uh, our son, teenager, uh, huge cross country devotee. He finally had to trade it out this last year for the musical, so he didn't get to do it this this coming fall. But uh, loves cross country, told him stories like, and this is high praise from the 17 year old. That's baller.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I have a fourteen-year-old son, and that I, I know that is those are a lot of words for a teenager. So that's uh, that's a that's that is high uh, praise.
1: So you you impressed him. I mean, forget the rest of your career. You ran the race <laughs> without the shoe yeah. with a bloody foot. All right. Well, let's t- let's go from there. And uh, you've had a storied career already. You've made a difference through your service and leadership to so many people. What do you hope that your readers will come away with when they read "Flying in the Face of Fear"?
0: I think the biggest thing for me is that ideally it just gives them a new perspective or a, a spark, right? That to share something a little bit different about leadership. Um, you know, certainly I know some of some of my readers are very experienced leaders. They've done very well in their careers. Um, but ideally I'm coming at it from a slightly different perspective from spending 24 years in the military, those lessons as a fighter pilot, but also lessons as a leader of teams, um, anywhere from, you know, small teams to closing out my career, leading a team of over a thousand people. And so I've really, it's, it's reflections on the lessons that I've learned through some pretty hard things, um, throughout my career. Um, I don't ever want anybody to have to go through those things, but I'd love to give them that little bit of different perspective of seeing it through having flown uh, airplanes in combat, having to make time critical decisions, being put under stress. I recognize that not everyone is going to fly a fighter jet in combat. That's not the intent. The intent is How can we lead under stress? How can we make those time-critical decisions? How can we learn from our mistakes and failures? So it's just to to provide a a different perspective, a different look on leadership.
1: Fantastic. Well, and my hope is that in our our conversation right now, we'll be able to get a little bit of that spark to ignite an even bigger spark, and people will will get a copy of the book and, and the inspiration and the knowledge that's there for them. We're talking with Kim Campbell, the author of Flying in the Face of Fear, a Fighter Pilot's Lessons on Leading with Courage. And okay, most of us have probably seen Top Gun or one or two and, and uh, all those Navy fighter jets, but you piloted the A-10 Warthog, which for me, uh, I mentioned this pre-show, it's like one of the most fascinating aircraft. And I am not an expert at this stuff at all. Uh, I'm not in the military, no personal experience. It's just what I know about the Warthog is it's crazy maneuverable. It can take tons of damage. It can go like really slow and kind of just sit there. Uh, And it's made that way to take all that damage and survive because it's supposed to get in close and support ground forces. How am I doing so forth?
0: You're doing great. (laughs) Okay,
1: good. Because that's the extent of my knowledge. (laughs) But I would love for you to, uh, before we, as a foundation for the rest of the conversation about leadership and all, but if you wouldn't mind taking us into that aircraft and what it's like to fly it. And in particular, in combat situations, as you said, no, not all of us are going to do that, but we can all resonate with fear. And certainly there's some that goes with that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned it. The A-10 is primarily designed to support our ground troops. And that meant that they built this airplane to take hits while performing its mission. It was built to handle adversity, right? this, This whole idea of this airplane was to support ground troops. And that meant that we would potentially be at risk while we were doing that. Um, the n- most of our missions, we're we're always talking to troops on the ground. The actual flying of the airplane is fairly easy and straightforward. What's complicates it is all the competing factors that are going on in the airplane. You know, when we are overhead, a what we call a troops in contact scenario, meaning our ground troops are taking fire. We're trying to build this big picture, kind of broaden out our situational awareness so that we understand the threats and risks to our friendly troops. We know where their position is. We understand what the enemy is doing. We're building this big picture all real time, trying to make decisions in terms of our tactics of how do we get in there quickly, safely? How can we support our troops while also keeping us safe? And so there's a lot of things going on all at the same time. Little bit easier in training, but in combat now you bring in you know threats to the aircraft. Um, potentially, weather plays a factor, plays a role. Terrain can play a role. So we're taking a lot of complex information and in, trying to make real time decisions under stress. Uh, and for me, that is where all the learning comes in. And every time was different. I mean, it wasn't like you could. It, it was. It was just all you had to be flexible because it was constantly changing different scenarios, and it was really all the preparation, all the training, ideally in that moment, we can just pick up and fall back on some of our training, but we're making real-time decisions.
1: And it's that stress that you're talking about that to me is the fascinating part. And one of the reasons that I really wanted to have you on the show is because when we're talking about fear, yeah, most of us won't know that fear of flying through enemy fire or the risk of crashing or or possibly being taken prisoner, those sorts of things. But fear has this weird way of It doesn't. It feels intense no matter what's actually at stake. Kind of the way that our our fear pathways work. So, as you think about and and you said you wrote the book because you want to help leaders um, with courage. That's the subtitle, like leading with courage and so forth. So let's start with why. Why do you feel that's so important? A skill for leaders to develop is their ability to face fear. uh, And you mentioned their vulnerabilities. That's a word that you use as well when you're talking about courage. So. Love to, let's talk about that.
0: Yeah, you know, I I think this all stems from the fact that like, I realized as a fighter pilot, doing these complex missions, there were moments where I felt fear, whether I was just taking off to go fly a mission, or it's the fear of letting people down. It's the fear of not meeting expectations. It's the fear of failure. And I think those are pretty consistent across many career fields and many professions, also in our personal life as well. Mm -hmm. And in certain moments, I would, you know, I would think that I wasn't afraid or I didn't want to admit I was afraid because I felt like it would make me be feel weak or vulnerable. But the truth is, as I've looked back throughout my career, whether it was going to the Air Force Academy to basic training, whether it was taking off on these risky close air support missions, whether it was walking into my fighter squadron on the first day, knowing I was going to be the only female pilot, uh, dropping my husband off for a one-year deployment to Afghanistan where I was the mom at home, um, or taking command of about a thousand military and civilian personnel. In each of those situations, there was some sense of fear, of doubt, of uncertainty, of nervousness. And what I've realized one, that feeling is normal, and we shouldn't be so hard on ourselves when we feel that way because it is all about what we do in those moments. And that's that to me is what it's all about. It's not the fear that matters, it's about being able to step up and take action in the face of fear, right? It's about having the courage to respond when we're scared. And that, that to me is really what it's all about. That's why I wrote the book, even though I will tell you, I got some feedback and there was a little bit of hesitancy for me about putting fear in the title because some people see that word and they associate it as weakness or a vulnerability. And again, it is, to me, it's a strength because it is is what you do in the face of fear. Um, And that, that is what it's all about. That is what as leaders we face, I think every day is sometimes doubts or nervousness or uncertainty. It's, you know, it's not just fear of life or death situations. This is the fear of not meeting expectations, fear of change, fear of the unknown. These things can all be daunting or stressful. And it is truly about what we do in those moments. Well,
1: I, for one, am glad that you kept that in the title and that you, you, know, <laughs> you approached it that way. And and because, you know, we're all about, obviously on, on this show, we're all about human-centered leadership and here at Let's Grow Leaders, that's, that's what we do. And dealing with that fear and confronting those challenges and vulnerabilities and the risk of this might not work, or I might look dumb, or I might let people down, right. that's real life. That's There's nothing more human than that. And if we're going to be effective to be able to work through that. And um, and by the way, listeners, all of those examples that Kim just rattled off, there are so many cool stories that go with all of those moments to illustrate these points in the book that I really hope you'll, you'll pick up and read those. They're, they're fantastic. Kim, as we're talking about dealing with fear, you say it's important to learn how, and you you offer so many different ways to go about that. I want to start, and we won't have time to go through all of them, but I do want right. to start at the beginning in terms of preparation. So you have a lot to say about that. And it, it strikes me that even as you're talking about becoming familiar with that we're not going to escape those feelings they're there and, and to be ready for them so partly is being ready for them emotionally but then partly is other things we do to prepare so let's talk about preparation how do we get ready
0: yeah i you know and that's the thing right i've i've taken some time to reflect on how in some of those most critical stressful moments have i been able to overcome the fear and and take action and it truly does come down to preparation um i realize that for me preparation The more I prepared, the more confident I became. And then that also gave me confidence. So if I break it down, for me, it is preparation. It is knowing, you know, in the airplane, it's knowing my systems, understanding what happens if they fail, knowing enemies, threat systems. In life, if I'm going into an important meeting or presentation, it's have I looked at what the expectations and objectives are? Have I looked at maybe after action reports and what has or hasn't worked in the past? I'm learning about my client or my customer. I'm just doing all that prep work. And then I take it a further step. And to me, this is this is where I found tremendous value was I take it out of the books and out of the kind of the sitting and studying piece and I take it to the practice. In the airplane, we often have a simulator or what we do, what we call chair flying, which is sitting in a chair and thinking through those critical steps as if we're in the cockpit so we can really visualize and practice. In life, when I'm doing this with teams, uh, I will do a walkthrough or a team huddle of something that we're getting ready to go do. Again, a negotiation, a complex project, we're going to walk through it as a team. If it's me as an individual, I can sit down and I can visualize and I think through kind of the critical steps, the critical questions, and then I take it that last step for me, which is planning for contingencies. And that means we don't just talk about what happens when everything goes right. We also take the time to think about what happens when things go wrong. And most importantly, how are we going to react? What are we going to do? I find that I can often feel stressed or worried about something that might happen well, let's talk about it. Let's talk about that worst case scenario. Let's talk about the tough questions that could get asked in a meeting. Let's talk about how, you know, kind of worst case scenario, how a client might react. Let's just, let's just talk about it and let's have a plan to deal with it. And I find when I've gone through this and then I actually plan for those contingencies and I think about it, then I am more confident. And then, you know, in a scenario, you may not, it may not be that exact thing that you've talked about, but you've, you've kind of walked through some of those really tough scenarios. And, and then when it happens, the fear is not so overwhelming because you can say, Hey, we've talked about this. I kind of know what I can do here. Um, and, and that for me is critical. Again, it, it, my competence improves. I get better at things as I walk through this process, but then I I feel more confident that in that moment. I am prepared. I am ready. I can take action.
1: So everything we can do to prepare, to visualize, walk through, consider contingencies, all of those are gonna help give us confidence, give us a familiarity and lower the extent to which we'll experience some of that clutching and gripping that, that yes. happens when the, the fear sets in. I am curious if you have any particular skills, approaches, abilities that you would recommend when despite all of that, we still get this the sideways thing or you know, some people wrestle a little more with anxiety than it is, whatever it is. When you do feel that, <laughs> that clutching and gripping and <laughs> that fear start to kick in. Do you have some techniques or some ways of approaching that for yourself that you found helpful?
0: Yeah, I think for me, I um I'll I'll tell one, I'll tell a quick story. It's in the book. It's one of the ones, but uh this was something that was shared with me when as a as a young pilot. I was very nervous on a mission. It was my first combat mission, and one of the things that we have to do is we were en route from kuwait to afghanistan long flight multiple opportunities to air refuel on the way there and air refueling is one of those things that it's hard it's just it doesn't come natural i mean you have two airplanes connecting at 350 miles an hour you know it's it's uh it's just tough and you got to get it right and if you don't uh well, if you don't have gas in the airplane you don't continue to fly so there's a lot of pressure and i remember my first connection that we see the tanker it's beautiful blue sky everything should be smooth but i have this death grip on the stick of my airplane trying to connect with the tanker i am so nervous because i'm afraid of failing i'm afraid of making a mistake i'm afraid of what everybody will think if it happens mm. and my instructor is he's watching you know he's he's out there he's my flight lead he's got a ton of experience And he just, this calming voice over the radio, he comes across and he says, Casey, wiggle your fingers and toes. And it just was like this calming moment. It's a reminder, like sometimes when we're so tense, we're so, we've got the death grip on the stick. We're so worried. Just take a moment, wiggle your fingers and toes, relax. Uh, And that's actually helped me throughout my career. I use it a little differently. I mean, for me in that moment, when I feel like the tension coming in and I'm nervous about something again, it's take a deep breath, kind of relax and just wiggle your fingers and toes. But it's a, it's a reminder, almost a little reminder to ourselves. We've put in the work, like we're ready for this We're I'm confident because I've put in the work, but it it's sometimes it's just a little bit of a, don't be so hard on yourself. It is okay to feel that fear, that tension, take that deep breath, think through what you've all the preparation practice and planning for contingencies. And then and then to kind of take the step, walk in the room, you know, get up on the stage, how, shake someone's hand if you're going to meet them, whatever it is. It's just kind of that calming moment for me um, to remind myself that I have put in the work. A little bit different if you haven't done the work in advance, but
1: uh, I was just thinking the same thing. But let's first start with I love that wiggle your fingers and toes. It's a it's just, it was such a compelling moment, and I can see where those words have served over over the years. Um, but yes, yeah, so as you were saying. All of this assumes you've done the work. And so there is, we don't want to skip past that. That, that is important. It's vital. And um, you talk in the book about having a flight plan for, um, you know, not just for work, but for life balance of so many different things. But that element of planning and preparation, we can't skip past it. Just can't do it.
0: Absolutely. If you want to be successful, you have to put in the work. I tell my kids this every day because they have this idea that, uh, you know, they're going to go out and make a lot of money and be millionaires, but they don't really want to work very hard at it. So it's constant conversation Uh, in our household.
1: That's a whole nother episode. I think (laughs) on, on the, uh, the misinformation that young people get some days. Yes. All right. Well, speaking of, um, I'm trying to transition from being a millionaire without working, but I, it's going to be an awkward transition. So <laughs> let's, go to, let's go to prioritization because uh, you you talk about how, and I, I think this goes back to it. There's just all these elements that deal with fear and courage and, and vulnerability. And prioritization to me is related to that. It is yes. one of them because we can't possibly do everything that needs doing. It's impossible. Uh, we're not going to make everybody happy. It's not our job and it's impossible as well. So how do we prioritize? And you've got an approach that that you recommend, um, a fighter pilot's formula for prioritizing that that you use. But walk us through what that looks like for you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, We get taught very early in our careers, uh, in, in our initial flight training, that we have to prioritize because we will inevitably be faced with stress, an emergency, something is going to go wrong. And so they teach us very early to use kind of this format of aviate, navigate, communicate. And what this means for me is aviate, right? I have to focus on what is most important first, which in the airplane is flying the airplane. So no matter what is happening around me, no matter what stressors are coming in, no matter all the things that are going wrong, I focus on what is most important first, fly the airplane, maintain control of the airplane. And then once I do that, now I can navigate. Now I can kind of pick my head up, look outside of the aircraft and figure out where I'm going to go, right? Having a plan of action, the road, the path that I'm going to take in the air, obviously the flight path that I'm going to take, but I have my plan of where I'm going to go, but I also have awareness of what's going on around me in terms of threats to the mission, threats to my airplane. You know, I'm, I'm aware, I have situational awareness of what's going on around me and then communicating. Um, this is the time to ask for help when we need it. This is the time to let people know uh, what's going on uh, so that they can provide assistance, but also so they're aware. Um, how I have used this and translated this into my everyday life, um, I realize it's very effective in leading in a crisis. Um, we all just went through the pandemic and it was kind of nonstop crisis mode. So, how then do I aviate, navigate, communicate in a crisis? For me, it's again, aviate. What is most important? What can I control? I'm going to focus on that first. Even though, when there are a lot of things going wrong, I'm going to center up and focus on the thing that is most important that I really have to keep doing, that I can't stop doing, or we potentially fail. And then I'm going to navigate. I'm going to make sure I have a clear path for my team. I'm going to make sure I have clear objectives, even in a crisis, of where we're going. I'm going to be aware of the threats to my team, to the mission. Uh, And then I'm going to communicate, probably more than ever in a crisis, we talk about clear, concise, correct communication, I'm going to let my team know the plan, and I'm going to reach out if I need help, whether personally, if I need help dealing with something professionally, going to my boss, uh, talking to team members, but I'm going to communicate. And so it, it is this whole idea of prioritizing on what is most important first, and then moving on from there.
1: As you work with leaders, Kim, in this uh, approach of Aviate, Navigate, Communicate, and, and I'm just thinking about the Aviate part first. You got to fly the air, got to keep the aircraft going. What does that look like in a non-crisis situation for leaders in their leadership day to day? You know, I'm 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 doing the work and solving problems. You know, I'm just dealing with life. Maybe it's not anything like massive crisis, but what are some of the mistakes that you see leaders make in terms of maybe not flying the plane? to begin yeah. with where do we get off base there
0: we get off base because we have something called chaff <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's the it's the bright shiny objects around us that sometimes catch our attention but it don't really focus on what's most important Um, The the word chaff is if you've seen Top Gun, right? The chaff and flare are the things that when you're flying you wanna decoy a missile. So you dump out all these chaff and flares or all these bright, shiny objects. And ideally that missile is gonna go track over on the bright, shiny object. Well, sometimes in our lives, we have lots of bright, shiny objects. They're the emails that ding in on the top of our list uh, that maybe aren't the most important. They're, you know, uh, somebody calls, you name it. There are all sorts of things that can distract us. And so, again, I think you're right. You said it. Prioritization isn't just about in a crisis. It's every day in terms of getting through the day. So how do we prioritize? Again, this is where we focus on what is How is what we're doing? Is it critical to our mission, vision, and our values? And if it's not, right? If when we're feeling overwhelmed, when there's a lot going on, which to me happens even outside of a crisis, uh, there's sometimes just too much on our plate. I I really go back to these lessons of what is most important. You know, if I'm if I got to fly the airplane, if I've got to aviate, I'm going to focus on what is most important. How does that align with our mission, vision, and values? You know, what can I control? Uh, and focus on that first, um, and then the chaff, those bright shiny objects that sometimes are around us. We it's a it's a intentional effort to know. I know that email just came in, but it is not most important. It is not the thing that I need to focus on right now.
1: Around here, we we use uh, it's all about the MITs. So the mind the MIT most important thing. So yeah. strategically the initiative, the daily activities, and then the habits, and then what are those at each level. Yeah. Maintaining that focus and you know and it, it just strikes me as you're talking that keeping the plane flying might mean our physical plane so am I investing in my own health and wellness as a leader? Right. Am I maintaining the, the connections to my team am I maintaining clarity of mission and the work we do relative to what you're talking about with the. Uh, all the distractions that come about like what is the core thing we're actually responsible for that's going to yes. make the difference long term and not losing focus on that and not allowing ourselves to be distracted by that even when other people in our same organization sometimes even your boss might yes. be the one that <laughs> wants to take you off, off off track. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean that's exactly it. I I like that analogy. I mean because taking care of ourselves, right? That is part of flying the airplane. If we don't take care of ourselves. And I'm guilty of this. I mean I'm not I'm not saying this like I've done it right throughout my oh, career. Sure. I have, you know, what's the first thing that falls out for me it's like the the gym right the the stress relief point so flying the airplane taking care of ourselves but then again really drilling down into what is most important i do some executive coaching now and when i when i have a client that says my schedule is overwhelming i have no time in the day i i have them show me their calendar and walk me through and go is that meeting which are back to back to back to back to back. Let's talk, we're gonna talk about each one of those and do they really contribute? Are you really required to be you know, flying the airplane? Are you the one that has to be at this meeting? Does it actually have an agenda and a purpose that contributes to your mission, vision and values? You know, it, it is a lot of going back to what is most important, what is most critical.
1: We never outgrow those fundamentals. All right. We're talking with Kim Campbell, author of Flying in the Face of Fear, a Fighter Pilot's Lessons on Leading with Courage. Uh, and Kim, I'm just, I'm loving our conversation. I'm learning so much. And I know that there's, there's a lot of value for listeners here. Um, more questions I want to ask you, but can you um, take a moment and tell us, everybody listening, if they want to find your book, if they want to connect with you or the work you do with leaders or anything else at all, where should we go to find more about Kim Campbell?
0: The best place, probably the most easy place where everything is in one place is my website, which is kim-kc-campbell.com. I do a lot of keynote speaking. So there's information there on my speech. Uh, There's information about the book and where you can find the book, which is uh, available really anywhere uh, books are sold these days. So Amazon, Barnes and Noble, favorite local bookstore. Um, and uh, so that's all the information as well as links to all of my social media. And I would definitely say I, I really love connecting with listeners and readers. I love answering questions because I know we can't cover everything in this short time. Um, and please reach out and LinkedIn is a great way to do that. I'm also Kim kc Casey Campbell on LinkedIn as well.
1: And I really hope you're listening. You'll take advantage of that. You know, I always I always mention that when uh, when guests offer, like, "Hey, I love to connect and answer questions," and uh, not enough people take advantage of that. And and what a world we live in, where you can talk to Kim, and and tap into you know not hours and hours, but at least a few minutes of her expertise and experience, and and so much that's going on there. So get the book. Take a read and you know ask those follow up questions. Really encourage you to do that. Again, the name of the book is "Flying in the Face of Fear: A Fighter Pilot's Lessons on Leading with Courage." Our author, our guest today, Kim Casey Campbell. All right, so Kim, yes, I want to get into a little bit of the team aspect of things. And so, um, you know, we've been talking a lot about flying, and you've been talking about asking for help. And you you talk at length in the book about the wingman and having the mentality, uh, a wingman mentality. So let's take it to this next step. We've been focused on ourselves a little bit. Let's get outside. What's the wingman mentality all about?
0: Yeah, this is something, again, we learn earlier in our careers, but being a wingman is all about, and, you know, we talk about it initially, right? In our early training, a wingman is just somebody that is by your side, that has your back, that provides mutual support. Uh, I learned really what it meant flying in a fighter squadron, flying in combat in some of the i will say some of the worst experiences of my life some of the most challenging experiences of my life having a wingman there to provide mutual support has saved my life um i won't share the whole story because it's a long one but my airplane got hit by a missile over baghdad and in that, that moment badly. of <laughs> in that moment of everything going wrong in that moment of really um it was terrifying i mean it was I didn't think that I was scared, but I really was terrified in that moment. After I got control of the airplane, I tell my flight lead that I've been hit, right? Going back to aviate, navigate, communicate. I got control of the airplane um, and told my flight lead that I had been hit. And, you know, he's, here's this, you know, I say two words on the radio, two got hit, two got hit. I guess that's six words, but I say a very short phrase over the radio. And he immediately steps in. He is my wingman. He has my back. He immediately tells me to put out chaff and flare, right? Trying to decoy any other threats. He tells me to try to get my airplane over to the West, which is where our friendlies are. Um, he tells me to emergency jettison all of the ordnance off my airplane so I can climb because I am 100% focused on the aviate part. Like that is all I can do is aviate. I'm trying to you know, fly this very heavy airplane, very difficult to control airplane. And he has my back.
1: What that looks like the have your back thing is like your mental process and your emotion. Everything is 100% consumed with just controlling this damaged airplane.
0: Yes. I am so and- focused on inside the cockpit and con- trying to just control the airplane. He has the situational awareness that I don't, he has that bigger picture, right? So when I say he has my back, he's, he's doing all the things he knows that I am just really focused on internal, trying to gain control, trying to fly this airplane. So now he has the situational awareness, right? My adrenaline is definitely pumping. I'm sure his is too, but he's the one that can kind of step in, in that moment. And that that's what having a wingman is all about, right? It's not just critical over Baghdad. It's, it's critical in our personal and professional lives, because when we're feeling overwhelmed, when we're feeling stressed, when we're feeling like everything is going wrong, having a wingman to step in, to Share that bigger picture to provide that situational awareness to, you know, help you make the best possible decision in a given situation. To me, that is what it's all about. I mean, it's someone by your side that is providing mutual support, but will step in when they need to.
1: So critical and such a great example of what that looks like. I'm curious as you think about teams and your experience in 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 those kinds of relationships and in in environments where. People often either consciously or unconsciously get pitted against each other and can be in a competitive mode where, gosh, we could be collaborating and and having each other's back. Do you have any uh, approaches or ways of thinking about or building the trust necessary for colleagues to operate that way and to be each other's wingmen?
0: Yeah, I think it really does start with the leader. Um, Ideally, it happens at the higher levels of leadership, but all the way through filters down to leaders at all levels of really setting the example. I think having that environment, having a wingman culture where everybody understands the role that they play, where they fit into the bigger picture, how they contribute to the team and organization. I think that's the start, right? Everybody understands where they fit in, how they contribute by lifting others. It's this whole idea that when we lift others and we support each others, even in a competitive environment, we can still lift others. And as a result, that elevates the performance of the entire team. But it starts with leaders. It starts with building trust. It starts with showing people on your team that they are valued for their level of expertise, that they're valued for the role that they play in the organization. It starts with creating What I say is it's a human level connection. It's just connecting with people on a very human level, talking about what they value, what they enjoy about their jobs, what they might not enjoy about their jobs and, you know, where we as leaders can step in and help and, and take some of that burden off. I think it is about that initial human level connection with people on your team. I think that's the start, but also just showing people the role that they play, how they are valued how they contribute to the larger organization, and how we as a team, if we work together, we lift others on our team, we support each other, we have each other's back, we provide that mutual support. In the end, that allows us to be high-performing teams, to elevate the performance of our team.
1: And there's just so many elements of trust that you just talked about in there to just kind of summarize those as we're listening. So the foundation of everything there and building that trust, there's your own credibility, right? There's the reliability, those things that we think about, but then that connectedness at a human level uh, and and really getting to know that person and them getting to know you, like that level of connection is huge. And then the value um, and having their best interest at heart and being able to communicate that in different ways. And you just gave us some really good ways to think about that. So, uh, you know, as you're thinking about this goes to me back to the preparation we we're talking about earlier is the more we're investing in that trust earlier before we need to lean on it and lean yes. on one another, the more it's there.
0: Yeah. We can't wait to the crisis to start. Okay. Now it's time to build trust on our team, right? We've got to start that as the foundation of, you know, building that trust, creating those connections that way, when things go wrong or when things are hard, we've, we've already built those connections. We've built those relationships. We've had kind of the hard conversations.
1: Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we're starting to get short on time. So I'm going to, uh, of all of my topics, I'm going to zero down to one that is, uh, one of my favorites uh in the book and we'll end on this one but that's the pilot the fighter pilot debrief mm-hmm. um the the circle of preparation that you talked about earlier and you even mentioned in those after action reviews of how last times <laughs> review becomes this times preparation but that if there's one thing that i think you know, even really talented capable leaders and managers so often forget it's this debrief it's this wrap up after action review and and even when it does happen sometimes it gets into shame blame or beating ourselves up or all those kind of thing that's not what it's all about so can you walk us through what is a good debrief both from a fire pilot debrief but then you know into our leadership um context
0: yeah i mean this is something that i've used throughout my career it obviously started in a fighter squadron but i've used it uh, as a leader as a parent uh I, you know i've it's just something that i find so much value in and, and you're right, it's, it's you prepare, you practice, you plan for contingencies, you go out and execute, then you debrief, and the cycle starts all over again. Uh, but when we debrief, um, one, we check our rank at the door. We check our ego at the door, because in a debrief, you want the youngest, the least experienced members of a team to be able to provide feedback to the more senior members, and that's hard but that's built on trust. It's built on these relationships and connections. Uh, It has to be a psychologically safe space where people feel like they can provide feedback without blame or shame or judgment. The whole goal of a debrief is to learn from it. And when when we debrief, we talk about our objectives. We talk about what we did well so that we could repeat them, but then we also drill down into the mistakes that we made. And we continue to ask the question, why we're really trying to find the the root cause of the mistake. Sometimes the easy answer is to blame somebody, Mm -hmm. but if we keep asking why we can really drill down into a root cause. And then we take that root cause. We identify some lessons that we have learned and we come up with our fix. What are we going to do differently the next time? The key is we need to learn from those lessons. A lot of times we do after action reports, they sit on a shelf and then you know the next event comes up and nobody pulls it off the shelf and we repeat the mistakes over and over again. So the key is they can't just be lessons that we identify. We actually have to learn from them and do something different. But this debrief is part of our mindset. It's part of our culture. It is an effective accountability tool really for any team or organization because debriefs allow us to, fail forward, right? To learn from our mistakes and failures. It normalizes mistakes. So it's not this blame, shame. It's it's a learning experience. And it allows us to be flexible in these ever-changing environments. It ensures that we're not so rigid, that we're not so stuck in our ways of doing things that we can't change. But it is all predicated on creating an environment of trust where people feel safe to provide that feedback, to raise their hand and say, I made a mistake. I messed this up. That starts with a leader setting the example and showing people that they are willing to go, hey, I I actually didn't make the best decision right here, or maybe I didn't say that in the right way, and, and here's what I've learned, here's what we're going to do differently. For me, that, that the last piece of this is that sometimes we debrief and say a small team. You know, Maybe it's just a small team that dealt with this one meeting. What if we could then share those mistakes with everybody else on the broader team so that... If you know Team A has done this, but you know Team X, all the way down in a different organization, is repeating the same mistakes. And really, how is that? You know, how are we really benefiting the entire team? But again, this is hard because it's hard for a team to step up and say, "Hey, we actually didn't run that negotiation very well. Here's why. Here's what we learned. Here's what we're going to do differently." And we're sharing this with all of you, putting it out there that we made a mistake in this, but we want you all to learn from that. It is a mindset shift. It's a. It's part of creating this fighter pilot mindset and culture on a team, but those debriefs are so powerful because we can not just one small group can learn from it, but the broader team can learn from it. Um, I use it in my personal life as well. I use it. I have used it in many different situations from flying to leading to raising kids.
1: There are so many applications. Absolutely. So I just want to uh, grab a couple of the takeaways there as I, I was taking notes as you were talking, because I think many of us try to do debriefs, but there are some critical elements that, that you just went over that make them effective and make them work for us. So first you had the check your rank at the door, which even that starting off, not so easy. Not everyone does that, but to, to truly do that. And I've seen different approaches starting with maybe the most junior people uh, in, in a room, like have them speak first and, and share their things. and. Um, after the modeling by the leader that you mentioned so that there's that safety created another element that you talked about is let's talk about what we did well what went well and so often we skip over that part uh just automatically going to the mistakes or what what, but to capitalize on what we did well one of my favorites what went well that we weren't expecting
0: yeah (laughs) yeah and why and why (laughs) what can we
1: learn from that yeah uh, and so often we just take that for granted. Was it an accident? Was it skill? Was it just dumb luck? You know, it was the, those yeah. kinds of things. Um, the implementation piece and the sharing piece. I, you, you, the, you, you were reminding me of um, Dr. Amy Edmondson, uh, who wrote the Fearless Organization. Right? Yeah. She wrote the forward to our book, Courageous Cultures. And and in her research, one of the things that I found fascinating was how high performing teams, in her research, were committing more mistakes. And that got her curious and she goes and starts digging deeper. I know you're nodding. You know where I'm going with this is that she found out, oh, no, they're not committing more mistakes. They're acknowledging more mistakes. They're bringing them up just like you're describing so that we're learning from them. We're dealing with them and and taking care of when they're smaller before they grow bigger. I'm wondering on that last one of sharing. I love that idea of sharing out and saying, hey, here's what we learned ourselves and here's what everybody else can learn from us. I love that so much. And I'm wondering if you've seen any good implementations of that, If uh, and what is it that needs to exist? Like if a leadership team says, yeah, I'm listening to that. David and Kim, that makes a lot of sense. I want to do that. What do they need to do to create a foundation for that to work?
0: Again, trust on a team is the starting point. It's the foundation to have that space where, you know, it, people feel safe to share those things, but, uh, you know, in the actual, how do you implement it? I've seen it done a, a few different ways. It's really depends on the size of a team in an organization, but bring everybody into a room, you know, have the conversation, share the lessons learned, walk through it. That's a very vulnerable thing to do. Um, and it, it really depends on the team and having that trust and that culture. Um, you know you can you can sanitize it right that's another way to do it so you sanitize it so there aren't the names or maybe it's not the specific team and it's more of a um a sharing of lessons without putting people on the spot if if there's not maybe that quite that level of trust or the culture that can go out via email that can go out flash bulletins there's so many different technologies now that people are using for that but there there is a way to do it where if if people aren't quite as comfortable. Um I find tremendous value in bringing people in a room to have the conversation because now people start asking questions. We start learning. We're, we're building on even the lessons learned from that team. Um, those are probably the, the most effective ways that I've seen it done.
1: Fantastic. Well, thank you for that. And thank you for all of the practical wisdom that you've shared with our listeners today. Our guest has been Kim Casey Campbell, author of Flying in the Face of Fear, a Fighter Pilot's Lessons on Leading with Courage. Kim, thank you for being a guest today. really appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Oh, it's been our pleasure. All right, listeners, you've got so many practical takeaways. Uh, When you get ready for that fear, prepare, uh, contingency plan, visualize. When you're in it, wiggle your fingers and toes get those after action reviews, get those, uh, those debriefs, check your rank at the door and create that safety and that trust for everybody to be able to, to, uh, share those, the mistakes and learn from one another as well as what went well, create that wingman mentality and uh, that trust and reliance on one another. So many different opportunities. All right. Do any of those and you are on your way to being the leader you'd want your boss to be. See you next time.